dive into it. I'm going to open with prayer if y'all could agree with me tonight. And Father, we just lift up tonight. We come in Jesus' name and through his blood. And Lord, we thank you tonight for such an open heaven in your presence here. Lord, I thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be said. Lord, I thank you even now for the Holy Spirit moving upon every single person that's going to be hearing this, watching this, whether it's live or maybe they're hearing or, or watching a recording. Lord, we thank you for every, the Holy Spirit moving upon every person, Lord, to give, that we can give you our best year, our full attention, our focus, that we're not distracted, we're not hindered, but the Holy Spirit's moving upon us and gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. It makes us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Lord, I thank you for, as you speak to me, living seeds of truth that are sown out into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And Lord, as this goes out, I thank you for the winds of your Spirit carrying this everywhere it needs to go, that it will get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to. Lord, let this word as you speak through me be like a sword that penetrates, a hammer that breaks through strongholds. Lord, let there be the washing of the water of the word. Help us, Lord, to see by the Spirit, maybe things we've never seen before, understand some truths maybe we never have understood before. And Lord, we thank you for it. We believe for everything to be accomplished in and through this, that your will to be done. The Bible says your word will not return void, but go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we believe that, we expect it, and we agree together. Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, as we submit this unto you, we resist the devil. We bind in Jesus' name anything that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. We bind you now in Jesus' name. You will back off. And we thank you, Lord, for your mighty angels just clearing things out. And this everything will flow tonight with ease. And everything will be said that needs to. We believe it. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank you all for agreeing. We're on part six of paying a price for revival. And um, I think up to this point, everything's been pretty clear that prayer and fasting and, and all that is, is the key to revival. I had tonight, I'm just going to kind of flow with the Lord what he wants me to say. This type of sermon that I'm bringing tonight is actually really important. And I believe that in many ways, the content in here is extremely life-changing and challenging. But I remember when I was younger in the Lord that there was these two elderly ladies that really were instrumental in discipling me, especially in prayer. And one of them told me one time, at least in regards to here in the South, she said, you know, she said, Scott, that the, a lot of these churches, all these Pentecostal churches know how to have revival. She said, they're just not willing to pay the price for revival. That's what she told me. And I believe that she's right. I think a lot of the, the old Pentecostal churches have had a move of God before. And I think a lot of them know that if they got really serious in prayer, that they would see a move of God. But a lot of people aren't willing to get serious with prayer, you know. So I just wanted to open with that. But what I'm going to deal with tonight is in the realm of authority and illegitimate authority, because I'm kind of dovetailing on what we talked about last week. So last week, Evan Roberts, we're talking about the Welsh revival and how Evan Roberts had a major move of God, but how the enemy began to attack him. And as it was very evident for those that were here listening, it was a Jezebel spirit. And that's what basically shut down the Welsh revival. But God continued on. God still moved. And the outworking of the Welsh revival 
seemed to continue on through the Jeffrey brothers, which eventually uh, George Jeffries prayed over Reinhard Bonnke. There you see the outworking of that revival was still, there was a stream there. And Azusa Street seemed to still carry on, even though it waned as well. It carried on through the life of people like F.F. F. Bosworth and uh, John G. Lake, which people are familiar with his ministry. So God always um, continues those streams, even though the revival, the hub of it may die down. It's like Brownsville, you know, that has died down. The hub has, but yet revival lives on, doesn't it, in many of us? All right, so tonight I'm going to deal with authority. So in, in the life of Evan Roberts, the attack there was Jezebel. Whenever you're going to start seeing a move of God, as Steve Hill warned me about this when I was with him, he said that if you're going to take Satan's little soldiers from him and be a soul winner, he said the devil's not going to sit idly by and let that happen. There's going to be elements of spiritual warfare that you're going to have to be ready for. And we talked about a Leviathan spirit a little bit, pride comes in, brings destruction. We talked about a religious spirit a little bit last week. And the religious spirit will be very strong through the critics of revival. We talked about that. Evan Roberts faced that. But then also we talked a little bit about a Jezebel spirit. And that's going to be in this sermon some. But I'm dealing more with authority versus illegitimate authority. So in Luke 7, verse 6, I'm going to start with verse 6. This is a familiar passage. And we're dealing with the centurion. And yes, he was a man of great faith, but mainly I want to focus on his understanding of authority. He told Jesus, when Jesus said, I'll go with you, he said, Lord, don't trouble yourself to come pray for my servant, okay? He said, I'm not worthy for you to enter under my roof. For that reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to even come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. So this guy had a revelation on the fact that if Jesus just spoke the word, it would happen, okay? And that was great faith. But it wasn't just that. He said this. He said, I am a man that's under authority. And I say to my soldiers uh, to do this, and they go and do it. Another one to come, and he comes. And he says, and I have, I have people under my authority. So let me say that again. I'm sorry. I'm a man that is under authority myself with soldiers under myself. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another one, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. And so he understood being under authority and operating in authority. And this is a true principle that John Davis said to me many times, and I, and I believe it's true as well. You'll never be trusted with authority from God ever if you cannot be under authority. That's just the way it is. So this man understood being under authority and operating in authority. And he saw that Jesus was a man of authority. Now, remember about Jesus, he said, I don't act on my own. He said, whatever I see the Father doing, I do. And what I hear him speaking, I speak. So Jesus, everything Jesus did, he was totally submitted to the Father to the degree that he would not even say something unless the Father was saying it. So Jesus operated in tremendous authority, but it was because he was under authority, you see. And so when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and he turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found that the slave was in good health. So Jesus just spoke the word, and he was healed, okay? 
Now, let me just say this. I'm going to talk about authority tonight and being under authority. We're living in the last days, and because we have such powerful enemies at work in the world today, we must avail ourselves of the protection that God has provided. In Luke 7, 1 through 10, under authority meant you were also trusted with authority, okay? This was great faith to be under authority and function in authority. It takes faith to operate in that realm. Now, Ephesians 1.22, God gave Christ to be the head over all things to the church, so to be under Christ's authority properly, we have to be in right relationship with the local church. You have to be. And Paul understood this authority. His call, if you remember the apostle Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, had an encounter with Jesus, went to Ananias' house, got prayer. But Paul found himself honoring the local church by submitting himself at the church at Antioch. Remember that? And for, for years, him and Barnabas and many other prophets and teachers, they submitted themselves there at that local church at Antioch. And, and in the course of time, in prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to that church and spoke to the leadership of that church and said, set apart Paul and Barnabas to the, for the work to which I've called them. And then they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas, you see that, and sent them out. So Paul and Barnabas' ministry was out the outworking of the local church that laid hands and sent them out. And Paul also recognized the apostolic authority in Jerusalem. The apostle Paul humbled himself and was willing to go all the way to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, and those that were in the headship there, and submit to that. And he told them the reports of what the Lord was doing among Asia Minor and all that, and all the churches that were being planted. And, and he humbled himself under that authority. So Paul was entrusted with great authority, but it's because he understood being under authority. And the apostle Paul um, also understood it because of his teacher Gamaliel and also the um, Sanhedrin, etc. He grew up his whole life being underneath authority and teachers and those that invested in him. He understood how important that was. So now let me kind of switch gears, and I'll, at the end of this, I'll kind of bring everything together. But Satan's army, okay, you're dealing with fallen angels that are in heavenly realms over geographic regions of nations, principalities, wickedness in high places, fallen angels that make up a rebel kingdom in the heavenly realms, okay? And you see that all over the world. I, I, I have to stay on point. I'm dealing with revival, so I'm not going to rabbit trail long, but let me just give some things as I go tonight. Do you think about in the Far East, the dragon? There's something about that principality that goes ancient times way back that there was some kind of a strong man in a stronghold established out in the Far East that has to do with the dragon. When you look at the Middle East, it used to be more, uh, you know, superstitious and, and, and uh, pagan and occult in the Middle East, but now Islam. You're dealing with the Prince of Persia, Allah. It's a fallen angel that's like a principality over that territory from Iran down into the Middle East and etc. And it, it it's a stronghold. It's a strongman there of Islam. 
And just one more quick example, you see down in, think about ancient Egypt with the sorcery that was there, going down from Egypt, down into the African continent, going back way back ancient times, witchcraft. You're dealing with Obeah, you're dealing with a strong man there, a principality that goes back to sorcery and witchcraft. So you see that Satan's kingdom has these principalities over regions. There's a principality over America. And I'm going to deal with some of that tonight. Because I believe it's connected to what I'm preaching on, actually. But Satan has this rebel kingdom in the heavenlies. And he's got some powerful demonic spirits that roam the earth. That look at coming against churches, coming against Christians. They want to enter the lives of, of sinners and, and families and destroy families. They want to try to enter the lives, if they can, of Christians in various ways and bring destruction. So he has this kingdom. It's a rebel kingdom that's set up against God, okay? So I want you to notice the word rebel tonight, rebellion. What does the Bible teach us about Satan? That he was lifted up with pride, most likely, again, without rabbit trailing law, most likely Lucifer led the worship because tabrets and pipes were within him, most likely. Um, he was, he's a fallen angel, but specifically a cherubim, okay? And he probably led worship, but he was lifted up in pride, and he rebelled. So you're, when you're dealing with the nature of Lucifer himself, you're dealing with iniquity of pride and rebellion. And when Adam sinned, what, would, what did Adam do? He rebelled against God. And so, see, rebellion, this is what I'm trying to really hit home tonight. So the Antichrist also, when mankind is going to reach kind of a climax of evil in these latter days, it's like everything that's been sown in the human race, uh, both good and evil, are kind of going to reach their full fruition. I th in my opinion, the way I see it is I've taught on the book of Revelation recently the, that uh, Remember the beast with seven heads and ten horns and all that? It was, it was a Leviathan-type spirit. And you're seeing there with great pride. And you see that in 2 Timothy 3. You see that in Proverbs when it talks about the seven things God hates, a proud look and all that. But you see in these latter days that, that mankind is going to become just this great pride. And I believe that one of the forerunners for the Antichrist is humanism because it puts man on such an elevated level of being like, I'm my own God, nobody's going to tell me anything. See, great pride. And that right there is that, that seven-head, ten-horned beast, I believe personally, is like the human race. It's a sea monster. Remember how the sea represents the mass of humanity, okay, the nations of the world? But that Leviathan represents great pride. So the Antichrist, one of his names is not only Antichrist, in the son of perdition, but he's called the lawless one. What is lawlessness? Rebellion. There, nobody is going to rule over a lawless one. Nobody's going to be able to tell them what to do. They're lawless. And so that's going to give way ultimately to the Antichrist, and you can see a lot of increase. Jesus said because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. And we're seeing it in American streets. We're seeing it in America, probably more than any other time in our nation's history. There's been an increase of lawlessness, and it's a sign of the times. Lawlessness ultimately is the rejection of God's authority. 
If you want tremendous protection in your life as a Christian in these latter days, we're going to have to line up our lives with the Word of God. How many knows that we've got to live obedient to God's Word? If we're going to be safe, you people do what they want. They, they have a free will. They can rebel. They can be lawless. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. They're not going to be under authority. They're going to live however they see fit. That's your choice, isn't it? But you will be wide open to demonic attack. There won't be protection there because you have nothing over you. You're running around doing your own thing, independent. So if you want to have tremendous protection, number one, we're going to have to live a righteous life. We can't live in sin. Number two, we're going to have to make sure that we are properly under authority. Where has God positioned you? Because this goes out, what I'm teaching goes out to other states, other nations. So you need to pray about where, where am I supposed to be? What church am I supposed to go to? You know, and really pray about it and hear from God and go there and come under authority. Submit yourself under that authority. And as you do, there's tremendous protection. Number three, you're going to have to make sure your home is in order. This is a tremendous issue in America. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But the fourth thing is walk in forgiveness. So those four things, if any of those four are not right, you're going to be susceptible to satanic attack. Hopefully, I'm really bringing this home. But we have to live a righteous life. Any area of our lives where we're living in unrepentant sin, that is legal permission for the enemy to come in and attack, isn't it? Number two, we have to make sure that we're under authority. We're undercover. Number three, we're going to have to make sure our home is in order. And number four, we're going to have to walk in great forgiveness because there's going to be a lot of things going on. And Jesus said that in the latter days that there would be a lot of betrayal. And he said that the love of many will grow cold. He mentioned lawlessness, and he mentioned a lot of betrayal. And so we're going to have to walk in a lot of forgiveness in these latter days. Just be willing to forgive and let it go immediately. Don't harbor it for long periods of time. All right, so dealing with the strongman over America, I believe that years of looking into this and praying about it and all that, I believe that the strongman over America is rebellion and Derek Prince originally kind of brought this out. But America, there is a strongman here in this nation of pride and rebellion. American pride and rebellion. And if you think about it, how did our nation start? I personally believe it was God's will that America split off of a British colony and become our own nation. I believe ultimately that was God's plan. But nonetheless, in that, there was a tremendous amount of rebellion against Britain. So from our very beginning as a nation, 1776, as we had the Revolutionary War and all that, and we signed our Declaration of Independence, some of that was in rebellion. And so that set something up there. Also, I would point out, and I'll bring this out a little bit more later on as I get into this sermon, but Rebellion and witchcraft go together hand in hand. And I'm going to try to tell a few stories tonight because I think it'll help. But when you're dealing with rebellion, let me say this tonight. So you remember the scripture when, whenever Saul didn't do what God said do. He's, God told him. I mean, it was as clear 
as, as a man could speak to somebody, Samuel came to Saul and said, God said to go kill every Amalekite. Don't leave anything alive. Kill all the animals, everything. That's not a complicated thing, is it? I mean, that didn't, that didn't take like sitting down and really thinking that through. I mean, that was pretty simple. And Saul goes there, and he doesn't kill everybody, and he takes animals alive for himself. So he rebelled, and Samuel was angry with him, and Samuel told him this. He said, that re- he said to obey God is better than sacrifice. And he rebukes him and says, rebellion is as witchcraft. So Samuel connected rebellion and witchcraft together. And then he said, and stubbornness is like idolatry. He connected stubbornness and idolatry together. And so I've talked about iniquity enough. I think you guys know the difference between sin, transgressions, and iniquity, so I'm not going to belabor that. But the iniquity within a lot of times that, that needs to be dealt with is there's an iniquity within that has to do with pride. And it also has to do with being rebellious. And I've seen this a lot. So there can be this iniquity, and I'm going to give about four things, iniquity within people, that I believe to a degree everybody deals with. God, God doesn't expect us when we get saved to be perfect, and he doesn't expect that, uh, you know, we're not going to have issues to deal with, but I believe that what he does expect us to do is get on our face before him and say, Lord, forgive me, change me, take out of me what needs to be taken out and do a work in me and let God do that work. I think he does expect that. And so, yes, I'm sure all of us are full of all kinds of pride and rebellion and all kinds of things, but God expects us to let him get that out of us. So there's, there's around four things I want you to think about tonight as I'm dealing with this is the iniquity, iniquity within that has to do with pridefulness, that has to do with rebellion, and that also has to do with witchcraft control, being controlling over others, which I'll explain as I go. And number four is stubbornness and idolatry. There's a stubbornness and an idolatry in people. It's like a stronghold many times. They're stubborn. And the idol there is self-will. I want what I want. I want my way. Slow to change. Difficult to talk to. They don't want to hear it. It's a stubbornness. Those four things is what I believe is I'm talking about tonight that's hindering people from being under authority. Pride, rebellion, witchcraft, and stubbornness. So in America, we started out in a rebellion. And even though breaking free was God's plan, I think the way that it was handled was probably a bit more rebellious. I think something set up in our culture of rebellion. But things were going along for a time. We've had a history of great revivals in America, the mid-1700s, around 1800, mid-1800s, early 1900s. I mean, we've just had one revival after the next. But in the, how many knows in the 1960s, it's like all hell broke loose in our nation. And there was an explosion of rebellion. Many of the younger generation today really don't understand this because it was before their time, and they don't know what was before the 60s. They don't know how things were to compare it to afterward, you see. But there was an explosion of rebellion 
And interestingly enough, during this time of great rebellion, the younger generation began to want to shake off anything to do with like the Judeo-Christian heritage and what their parents' values and morals. And, and a whole movement came out of, I guess, Haight-Ashbury's, where a lot of people think it started with the hippies. But it had to do with nudity. It had to do with a lot of sexual promiscuity. And obviously, there was such a rebellion there. But it, it began that message of rebellion and all that was fueled in the music of the time that began to emerge. That, and not, here's the interesting thing. Uh, and, and again, this was pointed out by another minister, and I agree with this. It was like when you saw so much rebellion, rebellion and witchcraft are two different things, but they're, they're like evil twin sisters. <laughs> Where you have one, the other is nearby. And so when it's interesting that of all the people that got so deeply involved in rebellion, that invariably they ended up messing with witchcraft and the occult as well. Isn't that interesting? And I'll tell you a quick story about this. There was a young lady one time that came years ago, and we were just praying for people on the altar like we always do, and, and the power of God was moving. And I, and I remember this particular young lady because when I was praying for her, I, I knew that it was a deliverance issue. And I took authority, and, and she fell out under the power, and, and she was kind of writhing, and something came out of her. And I just knew by the Holy Spirit, I knew that it was a spirit of witchcraft. And she, and she wasn't expecting any of it. So she kind of was like, what was that? You know, and I said, well, God delivered you from a spirit of witchcraft. I said, were you involved in witchcraft in your life? And she, she said, well, as a matter of fact, I was when I was in high school. She said, I dabbled in it, and I guess that's where that came from. I said, well, I'm sure it was. Well, it wasn't too long after that. Remember, witchcraft and rebellion go together. This young lady, though, really had iniquity within of rebellion. She was very rebellious, which probably is why she dabbled in witchcraft in high school, because being rebellious, you see. Well, God dealt with witchcraft and got her delivered from the spirit of witchcraft. But later on, again, here comes an altar service. The power of God is coming through. And now God's going to deal with a spirit of rebellion. And she got uncomfortable and tried to get away. And I told her, I said, you need, to, you need to get prayer. God's wanting to deliver you. And here's what happened. She got offended and got rebellious and never got delivered and left. And I haven't seen her back. To this day, I, I know who she is. And I, you know, I know where she's at. And I kind of know a little bit about her. But to this day, she's still rebellious. Never got delivered. God, deli God could deal with witchcraft, but never dealt with the rebellion because she wouldn't submit that area, you see. How many knows Jesus paid for us to be free at Calvary? He did. But you know what? If, as long as you're going to hang on to something and be rebellious and be stubborn, you're going to live with it until you're willing to lay it down at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, forgive me, take this out of me. And without belaboring this too much, great rebellion in our culture. I mean, it is, it's bad. So here in America, I mean, I'm just going to give you a few things because I have to move on pretty quick because I'm talking about revival and the enemies of revival. But homes being out of order, I mean, it is rare for homes to be in order. And you're going to have to go against the culture and be willing to even be made fun of in this culture to have a home in order. 
just about every realm of society puts, you know, if you look at anything that's on television, etc., and I've said this many times, but they portray every husband and father as being a complete idiot, and that's no accident. Because whether people like it or not, it's just a fact. God has placed that husband as the head of that home, period. And that means he has the final decision about things, period. And it says for wives to submit in everything as unto the Lord. And for children to honor and obey parents that are over them. So you see there, Jesus being the head of the church, his authority coming down to the local church, and then that authority under that is the husband of the home, and then under that husband you have the wife, and under that wife you have the children. There is an order, isn't there? So, man, I tell you what, you see so many homes out of order now. Husbands being passive and not rising up and leading like they need to. Wives not submitting like the Bible says. And children disobeying and disrespecting their parents. And parents, let me just tell you, you deserve what you tolerate. Don't put up with it. I believe one of the ways God gets that out of kids is kids being raised right. You know, my my dad didn't put up with none of that with us. You know, and he, he got that out of us when we were young. I mean, it was a bell can help with that. Amen? <laughs> and some kids, you never even have to spank them. I mean, some kids, you just get onto them, they just start crying, they're just that way, you know. But me and my brothers, we, we <laughs> God had to really do a work there, amen? But anyway, so there's a home that's, that's got to be in order. And also, you see, did you know this? That the Bible says in the latter days, a sign, please hear this, because in our culture, people think this is so normal and it's not. A sign of the last days is children disobeying parents. There was a time before the 60s that it was a lot more rare for there to be these rebellious, disrespectful kids. Kids were a lot more respectful and honored their parents more. And I'll tell you something else. The whole abortion issue. Great rebellion against God. That God gives life and man thinks they have the right to just murder and shed that innocent blood. And I say it's in love because I know that there's some people that have accepted Christ, and they, and they feel so bad about that. They've, they've been a part of abortions, and they've asked God to forgive them. You need to understand you're forgiven and hold your head up, okay? But I'm talking right now to people that are not Christians that are not repentant. They're justifying it. They act like they have the right to keep murdering babies. Now, I'm speaking to those people when I say this. There will come a time when all of us are going to expire one day. There will be a day that you're going to be like in a hospital or something, and it's going to flatline. You're, you're going to die one day. And when you do, all of us are going to stand before a very holy God, and we're going to give an account for our lives. And I promise you on that day, God will require of you the blood of those babies that you shed. And the Bible says that every murderer will have their place in a lake of fire. That's just the way it is. So I implore you to repent. Also, this whole thing about transgender. God makes somebody a male, and man thinks they have the right to come in and make them a female, or vice versa. Great rebellion. Are y'all seeing how rebellious this is? 
Also, homosexuality. God makes male and female to come together and procreate. What does man do? In great rebellion, says we're not going to do that. We're going to do the opposite. And of course, consequently, great rebellion. What do you see the rise of? Satanism and witchcraft. The evil twin sisters. Where you find one, you're going to find the other lurking in the shadows. There's no doubt where you see witchcraft in the occult, I promise you that you're going to find people that are extremely rebellious. And where you find people that are extremely rebellious, invariably they will end up dabbling in the occult or maybe getting deeply involved in it because it's connected. So our culture is inundated with just, I mean, rebellion and now witchcraft. And witchcraft is obviously, Jezebel is, is the spirit behind this uh, rebellion and witchcraft. So understanding covering, covering brings great protection. I, I can't dwell on it too much, but you remember reading in Corinthians where Paul talked about a woman having a sign of authority over her head and it, uh, having a head cover that has to do with authority, coming under authority. So let me read Hebrews 7.13. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 13 the writer of Hebrews says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account, so that they may do this with joy, not groaning, <laughs> for this would not be helpful for you. In other words, Hebrews is saying, don't make it difficult for people that are in charge, because it's not going to be helpful for you if they're coming up against all this rebellion and it's difficult to do and it's just a groaning thing. It's just difficult for them. That's not profitable for you. He's saying, just submit to them. And in regards to witchcraft and the occult, I'm kind of bringing this all together, but in regards to witchcraft, is kind of the religion of fallen man, if you will. Again, short rabbit trail here, but witchcraft goes back to ancient times. I mean, you think about like the Native Americans. I mean, how far back does that witchcraft go? You, you look at places like Africa and all these different places where, where if you look back in time, it's ancient times. So most ancient cultures have some form of witchcraft. And in their culture, whatever name is given, there's, there's spiritual leaders, whether they're known to the people as witch doctors or they're called shamans or, or maybe they're called medicine men. But whatever their, their name is, all these different uh, forms of witchcraft that is, is kind of inundated in that culture and goes back to ancient times, what, what's the purpose of it? Well, it's to be in control of things that they're not in control of. In other words, they try to do things to control the weather and to bring blessings upon their crops and bring blessings upon the hunt because they've got to eat. They, they want to try to control, for example, um, fertility because they need the, the women to be able to have children. And so the medicine men will do different rituals or give them a potion or something, what? To try to control that, you see. They want to try to have victory over enemies, some of whom may be more powerful than them. So they want to have control, so they, they want to be able to learn, how do I put a curse on my enemies to weaken them? So witchcraft is really like the religion of fallen man apart from God 
to try to have control over things that they feel like they don't have control. And from a biblical perspective, the definition of witchcraft from a biblical perspective would be to control people. To try to control people to do what you want them to do. In essence, it's ungodly control. And also, anytime somebody uses a spirit, it's witchcraft. Because how many knows the Holy Spirit will not be used by us? See, we submit to God. But if somebody is controlling and somebody is using a spirit, they obviously are operating a witchcraft. So there's two, kind of like a snake has two fangs. One side of witchcraft, because let me know if a snake strikes, it may only, only one fang may get you. You may just have one puncture hole, but still that venom is there. And so witchcraft, like this, the head of a serpent, has two aspects to it. You have witchcraft of the flesh, and then you have witchcraft of the spirit. So what is witchcraft of the flesh? Well, the human nature is, you know, you don't have to teach a kid when they're born to be selfish and want their way. <laughs> How many knows you do not have to teach that child to be selfish and want their way and to try to manipulate to get their way? Where does that come from? The fallen sinful nature. So witchcraft of the flesh boils down to these three words, manipulation, intimidation, and domination. And every, everybody, everybody, to some degree, has dealt with this stuff, okay? Because I believe it's, it's in the sin nature. But we have to be willing to repent of it. That's what God expects. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't expect us when we get saved to have everything together, but he does expect us to repent. And so let me give some examples. Uh, in China, right now you're dealing with one of the most evil regimes in communist China of our day. And I mean, with that communism, it is total domination. They have it set up where unless you're a good little communist in their opinion, they'll cut off your finances. They want to dictate everything about your life. And as Christians there, they're in fear of their life. They'll come in and burn down churches. They'll come in and capture Christian leaders and torture them and kill them. It's total, complete domination. Okay? Do you understand dominate? All right. I'm just trying to help you see something here. And then intimidate. When you're looking, a good example of intimidation is Islam. Because Islam will use terrorism. If you don't do what they want you to do, Islamic terrorists want people to live in fear that they'll come in and blow up people and all that. So that's intimidation. And finally, we deal some with intimidation here in America, especially as of late, because the left has tried to be really kind of intimidating and bullying and, and, and advocating violence against conservatives. Isn't that interesting? That's intimidation. But we deal much more in America with manipulation. People trying to manipulate. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Scott? Well, I'll tell you. So one of the ways manipulation is so strong 
is by controlling the media because through that, they control what people believe and they manipulate them. If the media wants you to dislike somebody, they'll report things in a way to make you dislike them. And people that don't think for themselves end up getting manipulated. And through that manipulation, they're trying to sway things a certain way, which I'll get to that later. So the Bible talks about Galatians 5.19. It talks about the works of the flesh. But in Galatians 5.19, in the works of the flesh, it says witchcraft is a work of the flesh. That has to do with being a controlling person. And then James 1.14 talks about the fact that we're tempted when we're carried away by our own lusts, what we want. So it's in the human nature to want what we want and then try to get other people to do what we want. And it could be in different forms. You know, I mean, one example I've heard, and it's a good one, is that, you know, maybe the the dad, the the husband or whatever, uh, wants the kids or the family to do something and they're not really listening. I mean, he may blow up in a rage and start being violent and beat people and, and draw blood and, I mean, scare him half to death. That's intimidation to control. And then pretty soon, everybody's kind of like, man, you know, don't make him mad. Just, just do what he said. But see, that's not operating in true authority. That's operating in fear and intimidation to control, you see. But then also, somebody like a wife, for example, could be very manipulating, could nag, I mean, until the person is just simply willing to do it just to get them off their cake. A wife could withhold sex or have, you know, sex, whatever it is to control and manipulate a husband to get what they want. And some people have learned to be master manipulators. And you don't, again, you don't have to teach this to kids. I mean, this is something that unless God deals with it, it just seems to be there, doesn't it? So that's witchcraft of the flesh. And I'm going to get into illegitimate authority and ungodly control in just a, just a moment, kind of bring it all together. But I'm trying to show you the difference between the flesh and the spiritual aspect. So the flesh here is to manipulate. And you can see it in the church world because people want what they want, and so they try to manipulate it to get their way in churches. All right, so now that's the that's the flesh. Now, let me deal with the spiritual. In 2 Kings 3.21, now all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against him. Now, Moab was kind of known for being a place of witchcraft. I mean, these were the people that hired Balaam. And all who were able to put on armor were summoned, and they took their positions on the border. Then they got up early in the morning, and the sun shone on the water. And this was something that Elisha told him to do, to dig trenches in the water So it deceived the Moabites. And the Moabites saw the water and thought it was blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings must have fought each other and they've killed one another. So then Moab to the spoils. And Moab runs out into that field where all those those trenches were dug and there was water. And when they come to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and struck the Moabites. And they fled from them. And the Israelites invaded the land, killing the Moabites. They destroyed the cities. Each one threw a stone on every good pot of soil and filled it. They stopped up every spring of water. They cut down every good tree. 
The only, and the only thing left was just stones everywhere. However, the rock slingers surrounded it and struck it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, now I want you to pay attention to what he does here. Does you remember me telling you the religion of fallen man, witchcraft? And when push comes to shove, what does Moab turn to in times of desperation? It says, when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took 700 men who drew swords to break through the king of Edom, but he could not. Then the king of Moab took, look at this, took his oldest son who was to reign in his place and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall as a human sacrifice. And here's the result of that. The Bible says great wrath came upon Israel. It released something and Israel departed from him and returned to their own land. Has anybody ever read that and thought about that? What great wrath? What was unleashed there? We're not dealing with human beings here. It says that he performed a human sacrifice. This was witchcraft. He shed blood. It was a satanic ritual. And the result of that was some kind of a wrath in the spirit realm was released against the Israeli army and their allies. And the Bible says that they stopped their forward progression and they departed and went home. So it did release something, something in the spirit realm. So this is the witchcraft side, the spiritual side of witchcraft is people that, and I don't want to belabor this, but people that have learned the dark arts. They've learned how to conjure demons. They've learned how to, to put curses on people. They've learned how to do rituals, etc. And all that that is, is learning how to cooperate with fallen angels in the heavens and cooperate with demon spirits on the earth and conjuring things up from under the earth. That's all that is. It is a way of trying to curse your enemies and to try to control. Listen to what I'm saying here. The flesh is to try to manipulate and control and bend people to your will. But in the spiritual, it's the same thing, but through the dark arts. This king wanted to turn the battle. And so he manipulated things through witchcraft that released great wrath, and it did turn the battle. So in Revelation 21, 8, it's dealing with witchcraft here when it says the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and the sorcerers. One translation says practitioners of the dark arts and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Talking about they're going to go to hell. So the Bible doesn't speak of this stuff as though it doesn't exist. The Bible speaks of it as it does exist, and those that practice the dark arts will not be in heaven when they die. And let me give you another example. In Revelation 18.23, it's talking about Babylon. Again, you see this beast with seven heads and ten horns. It's the end-time Babylonian system under the Antichrist that emerges here. But look at what Look at what the Bible says. Babylon, the light of a lamp will never shine in you again because there was this destruction from God and the voice of the groom and bride will never be heard in you again for your merchants were powerful people of the earth. Look at this, because all the nations were deceived by your witchcraft. 
Isn't that interesting? So see, the Bible doesn't act like this doesn't exist. In fact, it's saying in the last days that the devil was going to try to use witchcraft to deceive the nations. How many knows I believe that's going on right now? We're living in a time when there's so much confusion and deception. And so you see the dark arts in the Bible. You see, for example, Balaam. You remember when, when Moab, you know, many years before this story, but Moab hires who? Balaam. Who was Balaam? Balaam was basically a witch doctor or a shaman or a medicine man. Whatever you want to call him, that's what he was. He was a master at the dark arts. And so he's hired for large sums of money to come and put a curse on Israel, which was a common practice and probably still is in some cultures that if you're going to go to war, it was seen as your army and your gods going against their army and their gods. And so they would try to put a curse on their enemy to weaken their enemy down so they could overcome them. That's why you see, for example, Goliath was cursing David and his God. That's what was going on. And so Balak hires Balaam to come in and curse Israel, but Balaam couldn't do it. How many knows what God is blessed? The devil can't curse. And so there's the aspect of witchcraft. So I'm going to give you three branches of the occult real quick, and then I'm going to get off this. You have witchcraft, divination, and sorcery. Witchcraft is in the realm of power to try to curse people, to try to put spells, somehow to exert power over others. And that's what you just saw the king of Moab did. Human sacrifice released wrath. It released some kind of a spiritual power. That's witchcraft. And that's what he was trying to do with Balaam. And let me just give a side note here about Balaam. Balaam, even though he was a witch doctor, he was somehow also able to talk to God. You ever thought about that? He had some kind of a mixture. Here's the guy who was adept in the dark arts, but at the same time, God appears to him and talks to him. Some of the most difficult people to deal with in the church world are those that have mixture. They do have some giftings and some things from God, but they also have this weird Jezebelish thing mixed in there. And sometimes things are God, sometimes, a lot of times it's not. Those are difficult people to deal with. So you're dealing here with witchcraft, the power branch of the occult. Learning how to, to do things, rituals, etc., to exert power. Then the second realm is divination. You remember the story of when Paul and Silas were, were walking through the city and this slave girl who had a spirit in the Bible, it calls it a python spirit. And this girl was a fortune teller. I mean, people come to her, she'd read whatever, read their palms or whatever. She was a fortune teller. And Paul finally got tired of it. But isn't it interesting that she kept saying over and over, these men are servants of the Most High telling you how to be saved. So she's saying something that's true. Again, mixture. Demonic, but yet there's an element of truth in what she's saying. Mixture. Deception. And Paul finally got tired of it and turned to cast the demon out of her, and it started a riot. But anyway, 
there was, it's a spirit of divination. So you have the power branch, now you have divination. Divination is the information branch. This is where people want to try to read the stars, the zodiac, read horoscopes, scrying. They want to read tarot cards or tea leaves or grounds of coffee or bones scattered or runes, uh, whatever. They, they want to seek information, fortune-telling, psychics, palm readers, tarot card readers. It's in the realm of information. So you have witchcraft power, now you have divination information branch of the occult, which this girl was operating in ahead of Python spirit. And finally, the third branch, you have sorcery. And this is like the material branch of the occult, things that are supposed to bring power. Somebody may wear something or they may carry something like a talisman or something that's supposed to bring them power or wealth or whatever it is. They have statues. They have different objects of power. And you see this, for example, in the sorcerers of Egypt, Janus and Jambres that were, according to Jewish writings, were Balaam's sons, by the way. And they, here they were in the courts of Pharaoh. Moses comes in, throws his rod on the ground that turns into a snake. What do the sorcerers do? They have rods of power. It's an occult thing. They throw it on the ground, and it also turns to a snake as well. They did that by the power of demons and sorcery. And they could imitate three of the plagues through witchcraft. Have you ever thought about that? So sorcery is the material branch. And, you know, it can involve potions or charms or whatever it is. But interesting that um, in the Bible, you deal with this power struggle between Moses and this, the uh, sorcerers of Egypt, but it was like, what was it? You know, the Apostle Paul said, the kingdom of God is not in talk, but in power. There's going to be this last day power thing, that, this clash there. And my friend Jeremy was here Tuesday night, he was telling me this. He said, Pastor Scott, he said, I really believe in these latter days, churches are either going to have the goods or they're not, and it's going to be obvious who does and who doesn't. He said, you're either going to be a place of prayer and the power of God, or you're not, and everybody's going to know it. And that's true, and I believe it's already happening. I don't want to get off on this, but look at the way many have handled a pandemic. Something, think about how ridiculous this actually really is, that it has like something like a 98% uh, recovery rate, and churches are acting the same as the world in total fear. Lack of power. I mean, they know that the house that they're in is full of fear and powerless, and they know that if they lay hands on the sick, they're not going to recover. They know it. So they live in the same fear as the world and do everything exactly as the world. There's no difference. And here in River of Life, I mean, thank God, but there was only some that got sick but were quickly healed. You know, my wife and I faced it for a short time. We took communion, prayed about it. It was over in a matter of a couple days. The power of God. Amen? How many people, be honest, in here that God has healed you, physically healed you of something in River of Life? He has me. How many people, since you've been here, God legitimately delivered you from something here in River of Life? 
How many people here, you came here and you were baptized in the Holy Ghost for the first time in your life? Several people. See, you're either going to have the goods or you're not. And it's going to be obvious to everybody. It has nothing to do with the preacher. It has to do with the power of God. And you know what I believe it has a lot to do with? This place is a place of prayer. Those intercessors know how to pray. And because of prayer and intercession, heaven comes down in this place. And so... I love what he said because it's so true. But there's going to be a clash of power. Also, um, we're dealing with witchcraft of the flesh and the spirit. But have you ever thought about this in James 3.15? Because I mentioned earlier, like Balaam, there's a lot of people that have a mixture there. And that's why it's so important that pastors and leaders really screen who's laying hands on people. You need to have a filter. Because they may be a wonderful person that loved the Lord, but they also may have mixture in their lives. See, just like the, the Python spirit girl, she had accurate information from a demon. And just like Balaam, you may have somebody that's getting stuff from God and they operate in something that seems to be from God, but you also have this other aspect that's demonic. You need to filter it out. And ask yourself, leaders need to find out, you know, is this person, the Bible says, know those that labor among you. To know in the Greek means intimate knowledge, that you get to know them. Are they living righteous? Is their home in order? Are they themselves under authority or are they a rebel? You know, you need to know before they're laying hands on people and before they're supposedly prophesying over people. Is I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff that just wasn't God, but I've seen some things that were. So you just need to make sure in your church that the right people are ministering. Just look at James 3.15. This superficial wisdom is not such as comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual like carnal, and even demonic. So see, another translation talks about earthly, soulish, and demonic. So there's some people that their supposed information that they're getting is not really from the Holy Spirit. It's not pure. Sometimes it's just soulish. It's out of their own imagination. Other times it, it flows into even a demonic source. So there's got to be discerning of spirits. There's got to be a filter. And I remember Galatians, the Apostle Paul said to them in Galatia because they were departing from, from true biblical Christianity because of the Judaizers trying to get them into some weird stuff like you have to be circumcised to be saved and started getting really weird about it. And Paul asked them, he's like, hey, who has bewitched you? Isn't that interesting? Witchcraft. Because if you look up the, look up the Greek word for yourself, bewitched there, it's the word that's used for actual witchcraft. And Paul was asking them, who has put some kind of a spell? Who has bewitched you to get you into this belief system that your salvation comes through works now and through Judaism? And he has to deal with that. Legalism. How many knows Christianity is not all about rules? It's about being born again, and it's about relationship but when you do love the Lord, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, you see. But it's not all about measuring up in every little thing. It's about loving the Lord with all your heart 
And out of your love for him, then you're going to obey his, his, what he wants. So what is the results of witchcraft? I'm, I'm going to bring this all together now at the very end here. Um, the results of witchcraft. In my opinion, number one, is that there's true biblical authority where you see from Christ, who's the head of the church, that Christ is actually the Lord there. Let me explain. There's a most, unfortunately, I say most, and I don't think this is an exaggeration, most places that say, hey, we are a church, we are a fellowship. Most of them would never get on their face and say, Lord Jesus, what do you say? What do you want us to do? And we will do whatever you say to do. They never seek the Lord like that. They just run it like a business and they do what they want to do. And they just want the Lord to bless what they're doing. Hello? So the first problem is that most places are not even allowing the Lord to really be the head of that church. Hello? And I, I'm going to choose my words wisely here because I, I feel it's important, but number one, there's a lot of illegitimate authority that's out there. Illegitimate authority is people that have been put in positions of authority by man, not by God. Did everybody catch that? Therefore, they don't actually have the true authority that God invested there. It's not from the Lord. It's from man. They don't have authority. Consequently, they don't really have the anointing, the power to be doing what they're doing. So because they're illegitimate authority and they don't have the anointing to be doing what they're doing, invariably, what are they doing then? They're going to result in, it's going to result in some kind of manipulation and intimidation and control because they don't really have the real goods, the real power in their life from God. Is this making sense? When God has put somebody somewhere, they're going to have an authority from the Lord to be there. Consequently, they're going to have an anointing to be doing what they're doing. But if it's not really the Lord, it's illegitimate authority, it'll operate in witchcraft. And I personally believe that there are places out there that, that let me say it this way. There was um, one time Derek Prince, somebody told him, said, you know what, but Derek, I'm just going to start a church. And he said, well, you arrogant little thing. Who do you think you are? Is you're just going to go start a church, you know? He said, you, the Lord has to start a church. He said, here's how it is. Just because a group of people come together and they slap a name on a building does not make it, from God's perspective, a legitimate church where the fivefold ministry is in operation from Him with an appointed authority figure from Him carrying an anointing from Him to be doing heaven's business. Not everything meets that standard. So not every place out there is necessarily 
a true church from God's perspective. Have you ever thought about that? So we need to understand that there's places, there's realms of true authority, and there's realms of illegitimate authority. And we see that, and I'm not in any way getting political here, but I want you to see the strong man over America. And I, I think that this is really going to help because it's so blatantly obvious is what we saw in the presidency of Donald Trump. You had somebody that God legitimately put there. It's a secular statesman, okay, just, but God put him there. And so he had an authority to be there. And through incredible, the highest level of manipulation, intimidation, ungodly demonic control, like we've probably never seen, it swayed these elections rigged election in many ways, I'm sure, but it swayed it, listen to me, to have an empty suit there who doesn't even know what he's signing. It's an Ahab. So you went from having strong, masculine male authority that God put there that was making decisions, and Jezebel hated it with a passion. I don't think the man had a day of peace without some Jezebel witchy woman wanting to try to ruin him. Hello? I mean, you see it all over some of these people. Like, I mean, I'm not trying to get political. I'm, listen, when I'm dealing with this, I feel that as a pastor, I'm supposed to be talking about spiritual warfare. And you see witchcraft and Jezebel all over some of these people that are in politics, like Pelosi, for example. Kamala Harris, my God, Hillary Clinton. And on men too, like Schumer and others. It's ungodly arrogance. It is rebellion against God. And it is witchcraft. And they hated that strong male authority that God put there. So every day, they manipulated, intimidated, controlled, and apparently, think about this. Remember, all these witches and people, what were they doing? We're all going to start binding Trump and cursing Trump. And there was all this witchcraft stirring up against them in the spirit realm. But now you go from having a strong masculine authority to having a complete empty suit that is completely inept. And everybody knows this. I don't have to tell you. Everybody knows that the man is just being a puppet for other people. Behind the scenes, you have people like Kamala Harris. You've got that little squeaky squad and probably people we're not thinking of that actually behind the scenes are actually manipulating and controlling everything that's being signed, every bit of legislation, all that's going on. It is witchcraft. It is a little wimpy Ahab man in a suit that's being totally controlled by Jezebel behind the scenes. I'm trying to show the strong man over America Rebellion has given way to witchcraft, a Jezebel spirit. And unfortunately, Satan has really, in these elections here, you see how much the devil stirred up his little Jezebels and people 
to manipulate and get an Ahab in power that they can control. But also, Jezebel always goes after the prophets. I'm per- this is just my opinion, and I could be wrong. This is just my opinion. I'm not convinced that the prophets were necessarily wrong because I heard people say things like this. They said, and I, I heard them myself, okay? They said things like, I believe it's God's will that President Trump serve another four terms, but we better pray. You see, how's that missing God? I believe that they're right. I believe that that's true. But see, the thing is that there was so much spiritual warfare there, so much attack. And after the elections, who's Jezebel gone after after the elections? The prophets. Have y'all noticed that? There was an individual that I always liked him. I always felt like he was actually really solid, but he's kind of packed up his bags and is out of the prophetic ministry because people were headhunting him and saying, you know, he missed God and all this stuff. Jezebel will not only try to take out that strong, masculine male authority, but also Jezebel is going to hunt down the prophets and try to kill them too. And you're seeing that. Something is trying to discredit the prophets of our land. So what's the, what's the curse? What's the result of witchcraft? Because either we're going to trust in God, either we're going to have legitimate biblical authority and have the church in order, have our homes in order, and we're going to operate under the anointing, the power of God, or there's going to be illegitimate authority and witchcraft. You're not really going to have some netherworld of some in-between. I mean, you're going to have one or the other. But Jeremiah 17, I believe, states it well. Starting with verse 5, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord, for he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see prosperity when it comes, but will live in stony waste places in the wilderness, a land of salt that is not inhabited. How many knows that there's some dead, dry places plucked up by the roots twice dead out there because of illegitimate authority man's control let me tell you something you know what revival stirs up religious spirits and man's control you remember when jesus walked the earth what was he dealing with he was dealing with the pharisees and others what were they trying to do they were trying to intimidate him and behind the scenes they wanted to manipulate things against him They tried to get him up in front of people and ask him questions to to cause him to stumble. They did everything they could to try to control that man, and Jesus would not be controlled. But whenever you're going to have man's control, man's authority, man's little puppet, see, here's the thing. You got to make sure that is that house really, truly a house of God? Is that person that's the pastor, is that really truly a man of God for real? Or is that just a hireling that was put in by man to be somebody's little puppet? That behind the scenes, there's people controlling what he's going to say, what he's going to do. Hello? But then Jeremiah 17 talks about those that trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. 
For he will be like a tree planted by water that extends its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, and he will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. So you see there's a blessing on those that trust the Lord and do it God's way, like the centurion. I understand, Lord, that I'm under authority. And I understand, Lord, that I'm going to be operating in true biblical authority. Now, let me give you a couple stories, and then I'm going to close out with this, where do we go from here? I've seen where this has not been dealt with in some people. I just talked to a dear friend who's been in the ministry 45 years. How many knows when somebody's been in ministry 45 years, you can learn from them? And I was asking him some things, and he had been in this region, and, and he said that, you know, years ago, he had been involved back in the 70s in a really powerful move of God. And, and then later on in the 90s was really instrumental in a lot of things going on in this region with revival. And, and, and later after that, he was being used to help uh, bring in some revival in this region and have a powerful conference that actually really impacted me. And I was asking him some questions. I was asking him about, you know, in this last conference that you did, you know, what was going on with this, that, and the other? And he was telling me, he said, well, Brother Scott, let me tell you. He said, listen to what he said. He said, I dealt with so much manipulation and control. He said, I had so many people who wanted to try to come in and worm their way in and control who was going to do what, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. He said, I constantly was having to deal with this and put this in order and this in order. He was constantly dealing with it. It was a total frustration. And let me tell you, you remember me saying earlier about that iniquity within that we all got to deal with about pride, rebellion, witchcraft control, being controlling, and stubbornness and all that? He was saying he was surprised at some of the people that were coming in that were upset with him and trying to manipulate their way to be the ones that's in the limelight, the ones that are preaching, the ones that's doing this, that, and the other. You'd be surprised how much of that type of stuff goes on. I've been through enough down through the years that I just don't even care about that anymore. You know, I have people come in and preach. I just go do something. Let them pray with everybody. I mean, you just, you get to where God takes all that pride... See, people feel like I've got to be up in the limelight. I've got to be the center of attention. I want eyes on me. I want people to clap at me. And I want, you know, that's pride. That's the iniquity in there of pride, self-promotion. I'm telling these stories for a reason because I want y'all to be aware that, and there was a time that my wife and I were kind of involved with a group of different ministers. And I remember that there was a couple of them that, that began to try to the, they're dealing with peers. We're all equals here, but they, two of them began to try to ex, you know, assert themselves to be over and controlling and everybody else, and they begin to fight amongst each other about who's going to actually be in charge. Next thing you know, it all just scatters and goes to pieces, and I'm just in there shaking my head. Here's the interesting thing. What does it say about Lucifer in Isaiah 14? He said, I remember the five I wills, one of the things he says, I will exalt my throne above the other stars. Those were his peers. Other angels, he said, I'm going to exalt myself above my peers. Hello? Pride, 
self-promotion, rebellion, iniquity inside. And this can dictate the course of people's lives, guys. There was years, years ago, okay, years ago, there was a, a family, and I was, you know, ministering with them, and the husband and wife, it was definitely a Jezebel and Ahab scenario, but the husband was really repentant and, and assertive now. He, he was rising up trying to do this. And I think that the wife, in many ways, wanted to be submissive, but there was still something deep down in her that was still rebellious, prideful and rebellious. And every time the Holy Spirit tried to touch on that subject, she would get really defensive. Uh, you know, she would buck up against it, maybe start crying, anger, but never letting it get dealt with. And I sadly saw over time that that husband kind of capitulated to things and that whole family left, and I never felt that that was God. I felt it was because of things in her. See, you have to be careful because that pride and that iniquity inside, if you don't deal with it, it will cause you to never really truly be able to receive from that strong male authority because every time God tries to use them, something in you rises up and has a problem with it. Hello? And I saw before they left, I saw, it was interesting, I saw, a, a, I had speakers in, this is a while back, I had some speakers in and this guy was ministering, and I know him, he's a strong male authority, very prophetic person, I mean, and I'm standing right beside this lady, and he's reading her mail, and I mean to tell you, it was accurate, and this guy didn't know her, and I'm sitting there, and, and he's like, am I right? You know, I know I'm, hitting, and, she, and she would never acknowledge that he was right, and I'm just sitting there going, yes, you are, brother, and, um, and, and she bucked up, bucked up, well, that's not who I am, and I'll, Never let God deal with it. Never got the ax laid to the root. Never got that iniquity out. Sadly, it has taken that whole family down a different path of life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't let pride and iniquity and idols in your heart and this manipulative stuff, don't let that dictate the course of your life. Get on your face and let God take it out of you. And I, I remember there was a young man years ago that, again, this was a while back, and I'm being real vague for a reason. Anyway, and he, listen, this guy, though, in my opinion, had a very strong calling on his life. I, I was so impressed with some of the giftings and the anointing on him. He had a way, he was preaching at places, and, and God would really move. I mean, he was really anointed. And uh, seeing him do street ministry, street evangelism, he probably had some of the, the best ways of witnessing with people and relating to people on a personal level or standing up, preaching to a crowd as I've ever worked with. I mean, seriously, and on the streets, seeing people healed, legitimate healings. And I, I, God's hand was on. And I used to talk to this guy about different character issues in him. And man, I'll tell you what, in... He would listen up to a point, but he never really dealt with stuff. I mean, knows you can hear it and not change. And I, I kept telling him, I was like, man, you need to be careful with this self-promotion, you know, 
wanting to be in the limelight, wanting this and the other. There were some other undealt with issues in there, and, and his, his family also kind of had that dynamic of, of Jezebel and Ahab and a you know, controlling mom and stuff like that. And, but anyway, I know he, he wanted to be married. So anyway, he ends up getting with a lady, and I, I did not, man, this lady was seductive, sexually seductive, and there was something off there, and it was very Jezebelish. And I, and I told him in love, I said, man, I don't know about this. Well, he goes off and does it anyway. Okay. Well, you know, years later, you know what's sad? Today, he's not even in the ministry and hasn't been for years. There's no longer preaching places and the power of God. That's gone. There's no longer the street evangelism and all the souls being saved. I mean, but you know, when two people get married, I mean, God hates divorce. They're, they're married. That's, but it's sad because now something came in and totally, completely neutralized his effectiveness. And, and it makes me sad because, I mean, this is year, years back, years of no ministry, nothing that, like it used to be. I would hate to be in the shoes of somebody that was sent by the devil into another person's life and neutralized their destiny in God on Judgment Day. There was another young man one time that, you know, I talked with him, and he actually was a pastor's son, and I really was used in his life. This was one of those God things, and I, I spent a lot of time investing in him, and he just needed a lot, of, a lot of ministry. But he got over a lot of things, was doing pretty good, but there was a lady that my wife and I kind of saw get saved off the streets and all that, and this is a while back as well, something complete. But I remember just warning him, because he, this lady had heard from God. They're supposed to get married. Heard from God. <laughs> I knew it wasn't God. And, and I warned him. I said, man, I don't know. And uh, they go get married. It was one problem after the next. It was a fiasco. It was, it was disorder, dysfunction, ended in divorce. And I really believe this person had a really high calling on their life. And I'm not saying God's done with them, but they were so bitter and angry and rebellious now because of what they've been through that they're not really doing anything for God. You see what I'm saying? You, we need to all be careful that that's not going to be said about us. Amen? That's not, we're going to deal with whatever iniquity in here, whatever pride, whatever rebellion, whatever controlling behavior, whatever stubbornness is in there, that iniquity, that we say, Lord, do whatever you got to do, get it out of me. Uh, that is not going to dictate the course of my life. Now, I'm going to tell you, you better be really careful about the people that you allow in your life. The wrong romantic relationships, the wrong friendships, the wrong ministry connections can neutralize your effectiveness. So where do we go from here? And I'm just going to read this, and I want us to pray. I believe that what I'm talking about tonight is an end-time scenario, witchcraft. You're dealing with something in this rise of Revelation 17 and 18, the whore of Babylon, this queen of heaven. You're dealing with this end-time, it's rebellion and witchcraft 
a Jezebel spirit. You're dealing with this. And this is primarily the strong man over America. I don't have time to get into Baal. Jezebel worships Baal. And, and I realize that's there. And it goes back to things like Freemasonry. I understand all that. But Jezebel really is, is like the strong man, the stronghold that's got this nation. And you see it in the entertainment industry. You see, I think that you all know this, but the, the, the sexual, seductive perversion that's in the entertainment industry, people dancing around half nude, doing sex acts in their dance, and even to the degree of their concerts and things being like some kind of witchcraft ritual. I mean, that is Jezebel. That's witchcraft. And you see how it's infiltrated our school system and other realms. I mean, it's, it's this stronghold there of, of rebellion and ungodly control. And I don't believe that man is going to be able to fix it. I just don't. I don't think that man, somebody is just going to rise up and say, well, I'm just going to fix America. Good luck, buddy. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that God's going to have to fix it. But history is written by intercessors. And I believe if people pray that God himself can step in and can change things. But it's going to take, please hear me, it's going to take that. Don't be praying, will God send somebody to fix it? I don't think, people, I don't think man's going to be able to just fix this. I think God's going to have to start fixing it. So let me just read this. In Isaiah 3.12, here's the curse associated with Jezebel. It says, youth oppress my people. Isn't it interesting that we're seeing these rebellious young people now like never before? What is it on the streets that's tearing down statues and looting and burning and putting people in the hospital? It is the youth that's doing it primarily. Youth oppress my people. I could ask my wife because she's been in the school system, how is it that the young people are relating to teachers? Youth oppress my people. There's an oppression there. There's, there's a rebellion that's there from the young. And then it says, women rule over them. Jezebel. You see. It says, my people, your guides lead you astray. These are the false voices, the voices of the devil's kingdom. And they turn you from the path. And we're seeing even, and I, and I love, you know, my fellow Christians out there, but a lot of places won't preach certain messages. They water things down. They, they just, their voices are kind of just motivational speeches. That's not going to change anything. So let me read that again. Isaiah 3.12, the youth oppress. Women are ruling over the men. And your guides, supposed men and women of God, supposed that are leading people astray. That right there sums up the curse of a Jezebel spirit over a nation in two sentences or three. And then we know Revelation 2, 19 through 23, very common passage. I know your deeds. Talking to the church at Thyatira, Jesus himself said, I know your love and your faith and service and perseverance and your deeds of later greater than that of first, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. 
And she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit se- sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her immorality. Again, immorality is not only sexual. Remember, it has to do with veneration of idols. Y'all remember that? Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her in great tribulation. You're dealing with sickness, great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds, and I will kill her children with plagues. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and hearts and will give each according to his deeds. So you see, the Lord has to deal harshly with this, doesn't he? It's not something that, because see, you give people space to repent, and they don't. So the Lord has to step in. So that leads me to the second point. The Lord's going to have to step into America and deal with this, but also among the church world. The Lord himself is going to have to start stepping in and cleaning house. The Bible says judgment begins in the house of God. So judgment's going to have to begin. The Lord himself is going to have to start cleaning house. So here's how I just want to end this whole thing. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was a righteous man, but he prayed and sought the Lord in humility and in prayer and fasting. He did a partial fast. But his fast, just that partial fast of humility before God, was so powerful that God gave him great revelation and God sent angels. And the Bible shows us that his prayer turned the tide of nations. You see, Daniel was a righteous man, but here's how he prayed. He said, Lord, we, he didn't say they, he said, we have sinned before you, us and our fathers. Lord, forgive us as a nation. We repent, and we ask you to forgive our sins and intervene. And God himself began to intervene. That's going to be what it takes. I don't believe man can fix America. I don't believe man can fix the church. I think we're dealing with end-time scenarios. But I tell you what, if there's people out there that, and there are, there's people out there that actually know how to pray for real, really know how to pray. I'm not talking about joining hands, say some little, I'm talking about spirit-led. They know how to be used of the Holy Ghost under an anointing to really, truly pray. People that would come together in small groups of unity, there better be perfect unity that know how to really pray and will come together in prayer and partial fasting and they will begin to say, Lord, forgive us as a nation and we ask you to step in. Those people can turn the tide of this nation, guarantee you. And they can bring a change to the body of Christ. Remember the revival stories before people discount what I'm saying. Was it not almost every time a little small group of people that were in prayer, they were unified in prayer and humility and fasting and what? Something broke loose that affected millions of people. Change the course of nations. That's the historical fact right there. So I just say, look, if people will come together and really begin to pray, I believe God can turn the tide of America, and God can definitely turn the tide of his people, and God can send a revival that will change everything. But it's going to take that. All right, so Lord, we just thank you today. We bless you. Lord, we thank you for your word. And, Lord, we want to avail ourselves in these latter days of the great protection 
of being living righteous, being under authority, having our homes in order, walking in forgiveness. And we want to walk in the anointing in these latter days and see revival. Lord, thank you for hearing and answering these prayers tonight over your people and over this word. And Lord, let it be established in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and close down recordings. And um, I'll tell you what I've been feel, feeling, guys. I, I pray for people a lot. And as my wife.